1: Welcome to Dunzo. This is a podcast that explores hookups and breakups of famous lovers and friends, both real and fake, and all the discarded pop culture of yesteryear. I'm your host, Troy McKeady. You guys, welcome back to whatever episode this is of Dunzo. It is me, Troy McGeady. And today is a very special episode, not only because it has been highly requested for God knows how long. Um, I don't know what it is about this album specifically that people are so interested in, but I'm into it and I'm very interested in this album as well. But it's also special because I'm joined by my Canadian brother, the man that I share a brain with from across the world, <laughs> Russell Martin. How are you? Hi, Diva. I'm really good. I love
0: that you call across the world the, like, 50, 60 miles between
1: <laughs> us because there's a border. <laughs> I
0: know! Like, I think I could get in a car and be at your place in, like, two hours.
1: I'm romanticizing it, Russ. What do you want from me?
0: I absolutely love it. Happy New Year, Troy. You
1: too. How have you been?
0: I, You know, just like everyone else, absolutely at the peak of my insanity. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> yes we're all just a, a, a sneeze away from a manic episode
0: yeah no this uh this past wave of uh, shutdowns has really just taken what was left of my sanity and blown it up into a
1: million little pieces it's the monster in my head <laughs> yeah. I feel like in my apartment right now because I moved into a studio like maybe a year ago and now I feel like you know when people are really cruel to sims mm. and they build like homes with no bathrooms or doors (laughs) like that's what I feel like I'm walking into the corner of my living room and I'm gonna shit myself soon and Mm -hmm. Grim Reaper will be behind me waiting for me to get done yeah no it's uh it's been a journey it has been a journey um well obviously if I'm talking about Gaga you know that I can't not have you here I'm so happy to be here uh, I obviously
0: I I stand to the point where I don't even know if my opinions are valid anymore because right. of how hard I stand uh but I will say uh this is the peak era of her being just perfect yeah like There's so little to criticize. In many eras, I am the type of fan who can step back and be like, she's being pretty wild. She's being very annoying. Yeah. She's doing something that I dislike. Some of the songs are trash, but this is really the shiny pinnacle
1: of, uh, of her early career. I agree with that this is a real by the way we're talking about the Fade monster did I say that <laughs> I don't think so but they read uh, the episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh for me this is like where all of the pieces the puzzle pieces just fit everything is like perfectly in place you know the whimsy of Lady Gaga is still very new this idea of her being like I've described to her before on this podcast is like you know at the time it felt like she was like this alien that had like landed on earth in, like, an 80s movie, and we were all just like, whoa, like, we couldn't believe that she was a real person. And, like, that was fun, you know? Mm-hmm. No, so much fun. I
0: think that this is the only era in which she was culturally understood as cool. I think when she first came out, she was a little too camp for the general public. Only mm. gay people were really into her. And then she started getting songs that were popular on the radio, and maybe you would hear them at the CVS or whatever, but mm. she wasn't really thought of as. Uh, artistically legitimate and then f- this is the album that really kicked off her being adored by fashion labels mm-hmm. and her having cultural cachet and big artists wanting to collaborate with her and pretty shortly after this she was too count for the general public once again
1: yeah you're totally right and the themes in this album like when I was listening to the songs I was like wow like the themes in the fame monster specifically. And I don't know, just the way that she, we'll talk about it obviously, but yes. a lot of the stuff that she explores in this album becomes the kind of thread throughout her entire career. Um, whereas I feel like the fame feels like its own separate, like crystallized, weird thing that happened. This the fame's like, an art project. It's theoretical. Yeah, Totally.
0: Like it's something that she cooked up in sort of that Tish era of her career. It was very New York. It was also like Lower East Side people who play in like rock bands were her friends. When she was thinking about fame and writing these silly sort of pop songs, it wasn't uh, necessarily an aspiration. It was a bit of a joke. Mm -hmm. And this is the flip side when everything that she cooked up came true and then she had to
1: deal with it (laughs) (laughs) well tell me okay so where were you in like late was this like late 2009 2010 right yeah uh this was
0: senior year of university i think probably for both of us Mm -hmm. yeah uh so i i was over here in toronto up a like going out to the the clubs and I was very into this was like the height of indie sleeves, which is back yeah. once again but you know I was going to cobra stick parties yeah <laughs> you know I worshipped Corey Kennedy I was into that whole moment for the girls who know no mm-hmm. and yeah uh this was my introduction to pop before mm. this I listened to a lot of you know, like music that was made with guitars. I listened to pop punk and emo and screamo and hardcore. And until Lady Gaga came along, right at the time that I started kissing boys right. and <laughs> blew my fucking mind. And here we
1: are 12 years later. And I'm just a, a 12-year-old girl listening to <laughs> my poppy box. Well, how did you discover like how did she come into your life? Or, like, how did this album like how why was this uh, your first why? all the things Uh, so i listened to
0: the fame obviously uh i got in on the fame but like this is when i saw her in concert for the first time this is when it really started exploding for me uh yeah i don't know what about you what's your relationship to it
1: um so at this time i had actually taken time off from school to like explore i moved to chicago with somebody that I barely knew didn't work out so great uh but it was a fun experience and yeah it was peak indie sleaze I was going to all these like hipstery bars and wearing a lot of sweater vests with like argyle and were you you too cool for Boys Town no oh my god no I was not too cool Uh, definitely not um (laughs) or whatever um and (laughs) this album was just like also by the way this was for me, I again, I had listened to The Fame, and I liked it, and I was like, oh, La- La- Lady Gaga's cool. But this album really changed everything for me, and um, this was also the year that I went to a taping of The Oprah Show, and I didn't know she was the guest.
0: Shut the fuck up. Trey, <laughs> never told me that. Are you kidding? No, you've absolutely never told me that. Oh, my God. Russ. Somebody is going to pull up you telling me that on a podcast.
1: <laughs> like four <laughs> different times.
0: <laughs> Okay. uh, Start from the beginning.
1: Okay. So I had been trying to get tickets to the Oprah show since late middle school, early, since before I was even allowed to go. And, um, my best friend and I were like diehard Oprah gals. And we always tried. And then I was like, well, I'm in Chicago. So maybe I'll have an easier chance if I'm here. I applied not even an hour later, they were like, you've been chosen for a taping of the Oprah show. Like, you know, choose a or B. And I just chose a like for whatever reason i didn't really like think about it i was like i'm just happy to go b was like a wedding special where a bunch of people in the audience got like wedding certificates or something (laughs) a was lady gaga like basically debuting born or um bad romance on oprah and uh yeah so i sat like a foot away from her and watched her talk for an hour and watched oprah go lady gaga she said it like 90 times and she was giving uh, monster paws and stuff. And it was amazing.
0: Incredible. Do you go back and watch the episode? <laughs> yeah, I
1: do. Yeah, sometimes. On a, I did it for this and I was like, well, it just felt really weird. It was so long ago.
0: What were the big topics that were being asked about? Because that's like past the do you have a penis era. Mm-hmm. But you, you know what? what <laughs> it, and and it's, it's past penis, pre meat dress. Yes. What was Oprah
1: asking her about? Um, She definitely asked her because at the time it was like the illusion, who is Gaga, mm. you know, and it was like that time when people were discovering, especially in interviews that she was like very normal in a lot of ways and people were so blown away by the idea that she would like, describe herself <laughs> as a New York City girl like an Italian girl with a normal family, a Catholic upbringing so gaga or oprah was asking her a lot about just like the spectacle you know what mm. i mean and yeah. at the time it was like like magician gaga yeah 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 um but yeah and there were a lot of old ladies in the audience that were completely fucking terrified and freaked out and told <laughs> to give monster hands they didn't know what it meant and they were terrified <laughs> it was amazing
0: oh my goodness uh did you go to the famed monster ball tour i did not you didn't okay no Uh, That was my first Gaga show. It blew me away. I was rolling on a ton of Molly. I had a really (laughs) good time. It was, you know, a little early twenties moment. Uh, (laughs) Right. Did you remember to the, this was the time when she was supposed to be touring with Kanye?
1: Oh my God. I forgot about that.
0: Mm -hmm. Why didn't that happen? Because of Taylor Swift.
1: Holy shit.
0: Yeah, they shot promo for it and everything. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the David LaChapelle uh, photo of Kanye West holding Lady Gaga in his arms. I don't think so. It's a beautiful shot, but yeah, they were all ready to go. The tour is going to be called Fame Kills. Uh, wow. because it, Yeah, it came out around the time where Kanye was starting the first little inklings of his public stuff. And Mm -hmm. he had sort of gone through the fame and then she just made this concept album about it and was moving on to looking at the darker side of fame and they were going to tour it together. And it got pulled and it just hit at the right time for her to be able to go and debut as a a solo headlining act for the first time.
1: God, how weird to think like what would have been had that happened. Total different timeline, right? Like the whole entire world. The landscape of music would be completely different mm-hmm. weird um yeah i first things first when it comes to this okay
0: do you consider this to be an album is this a studio album is this the second studio album from lady gaga in your opinion
1: i gotta be honest with you i forgot that it wasn't considered a studio album because for me it has been always she considers it a studio album like, but it's a completely different vibe. Like, it's a fully formed piece of art.
0: Yes, that is a really good way of putting out it, it. It's short. It, uh, I, I looked it up because I was curious because people often call it an EP, extended mm-hmm. play, uh, and the industry standard for an EP is thirty minutes or less. This mm-hmm. clocks in at thirty four, so it's just like one song over. Uh, but. She considered it to be her second album, even though it got packaged with the first album in many markets.
1: I mean, I think an EP, I think calling it an EP is like a safe space, right? Like that's a safe thing to refer to it as, but I definitely don't consider it just like a continuation of the fame. Like when I want to listen to this album, I don't want to listen to that one. They're so different. You know what I mean? To me. Yeah.
0: And in terms of like fame mythology and the Madonna model, it is a different era. Mm -hmm. Very distinctly. She is a different performer from the last single of the fame to the first single of the fame monster. It's
1: different beast. Yeah. And if you, I mean, even just lyrically, like if you sort of focus on what she's discussing, it's like the first album is like, what would it be like if we had all these things how fun it would be if we had all this money and if we could have as much sex as we want and drugs and rock and roll and all this stuff and now it's like how fucked up it is to have it and how unfulfilling it is it's a completely different world like this album is in a lot of ways really sad oh no absolutely
0: the first album is fuck around and this album is fine
1: (laughs) yeah yeah totally (laughs) it's true um and yeah, like I said, she's, you know, she's, exp- and I, I miss Gaga exploring fame. I know that she mm. probably has like milked everything she could from it, but like, my God, like, I just love this era of her discussing fame and, you know, celebrity and money and all of the things and like the way that we fetishize it and how dark it is, um, the effects that it has on society. Like, I just, I love her commentary on all of that stuff
0: yeah both of those like they really are concept albums Mm -hmm. for pop albums coming from who became a world-dominating pop star they're very much so a concept album
1: yeah I agree and I also love that you know I'm a horror girl I love a horror movie and this is a real Mm. this album is like a love letter to classic horror like there are so many elements explored of like vampires and werewolves and the monster themes and like the dark imagery and you know the photos from this album look like they could be from like a like a special effects book yeah no absolutely and i think she's
0: playing with the idea that women get turned into monsters Mm -hmm. and particularly like pop women yeah you know you become a piece of meat and you get demonized, you know, look at what happened to Britney Spears. They turned Britney Spears into a fucking monster mother. Right. It's true. And she is deconstructing sort of how that happened. Or even look at Madonna and the way that she was like villainized for sex.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's that there, she was made to seem incredibly monstrous at that time. Uh, when she put out the sex book, the erotica era, that that whole era. Uh, did you look at the art that was created for the re-release?
1: Um, I know that I've seen it a million times, but I don't, I didn't look at it this time.
0: Yeah. So the, because it comes out in like a double disc, these are from the days, like the last breath of people buying yeah. CDs and the first cover for the fame, she's in this blonde wig, uh, sort of an what we would now call an Ava Max wig. <laughs> right.
1: Uh, what and, I used to refer to as a Patty and Selma wig. Oh, brother. love,
0: love, love, love. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then she's in this brunette wig for the fame monster. And that's, it's a picture where her eye is bleeding black. Mm-hmm. And apparently the record label hated it so much. They fought her like tooth and
1: nail on it because it was too goth for a pop girlie if they only knew what was to come from Miss Stephanie Dominata, my God. Right? That's like child's play in comparison. Yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, they really played <laughs> with that like yin yang, even in the visuals and the marketing. So
1: it's cool. Yeah, before we get into the tracks, I wrote down this little quote from Gaga's Wiki because I just thought it was interesting. It says, the early musical direction was also shaped by Gaga's touring experiences with the Fame Ball Tour, uh, during which she allegedly encountered, quote, several monsters that encapsulated her biggest fears. These fears were divided into various monster metaphors, such as the fear of sex, the fear of love, the fear of alcohol, and so forth. She said, I spent a lot of nights in Eastern Europe, and this album is a pop experiment is pop experimentation with industrial goth beats, 90s dance melodies, and an obsession with the lyrical genius of 80s melancholy pop and the runway. And that's probably another reason why I gravitate towards this album so much because it's so much sad 80s synthy pop. And you know how much I love that. Oof, yeah. (laughs) You know, it's It's, very, it's like- Yeah, that reminds me of like a racer. yeah
0: uh definitely erasure but like married to a european dance pop yeah totally it's it's the mood of that type of 80s music Mm -hmm. but then it's the like sort of trashiness of the european dance
1: yes and those are i mean if you put me in a blender (laughs) (laughs) that's the smoothie that you would get (laughs) um Yeah, so let's start with Bad Romance, which is like, I always say like the big singles from every album that I review feel so weird to try and be critical about because it's like, what do you say about Bad Romance? But there's also almost too much to say, Mm. but we'll do our best.
0: (laughs) Uh, So singles wise, this is coming off of the backs of Paparazzi. Mm -hmm. Paparazzi was the last of the fame. And then she came out with Bad Romance. The song debuted during Alexander McQueen's final fashion show ever, Plato's Atlantis for Spring Summer 2010, which is... So perfect. Yeah, so perfect. And then she like returned the favor and she was the first celebrity to wear the armadillo shoe in the music video, uh, which, yeah, the whole thing is sad and wonderful, uh, but yeah, what a moment in pop culture to be tied to. And, like, what a moment in fashion for that right. song to be tied to. Uh,
1: Just, just wild. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's weird to think that, like, you know, just a year prior to this, she was wearing, like, ripped up wet seal tights.
0: Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Totally. Did you see her recent uh, Vogue look? Yes. Video, yes. yeah, so like in that she talks about how she could only afford to have a few outfits like for her first era, so she wore the same outfits over and over and she just invested on like three pieces, yeah, and yeah, now she is debuting her songs at one of the most critically acclaimed fashion designers of all times, yeah, a really important show. It was a big spectacle, incredibly well reviewed, uh, yeah. What- our little Steffi Germanotto
1: she went a long way yeah. in that year yeah this is like budget Gaga like this is like oh like this is Gaga has money now which is yeah. like really interesting to be able to see what she did with not being broke you know I would love to even see
0: the budget for paparazzi versus the budget for bad romance because mm. the
1: glow up is massive totally it's yeah, it's it's Almost it's really interesting to think what she would have done with something like a paparazzi or even like a poker face if she had the money mm-hmm. to really go there. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I do have to say that this song specifically explores one of my favorite things that Gaga I love the way that Gaga equates being a female pop star to prostitution. Yeah. Mm. And yep. that she's always sort of explored it in that way. Um and it's like it's a theme that she's explored in so many different ways throughout her career, but this is our first entry with that, and I love it. Yeah, I, that's something that
0: I don't think most people would necessarily pick up on, and definitely I was like poking through the video. That video is about sex trafficking. Yeah, she gets sex trafficked to a man, and then sets him on fire, and kills, and smokes a cigarette
1: with <laughs> the flame. Yes. And it's it's also, even though I guess you could argue that paparazzi would have been the first example of this, but this idea, you see it heavily in like Mary the Night, where it's like a version of what's happening, but it's Gaga's version in her head. It's this romanticized sort of version of whatever the scenario is. And in this case, it's being sex trafficked, you know, and it's it's fucking crazy. Like she's literally in like a Russian brothel. Being sex trafficked and it's like a really interesting metaphor for the way that we treat female pop stars yeah and we didn't
0: know at the time but this is only a couple of years after uh she like trigger warning uh experienced sexual assault from mm-hmm. a record producer and had been working As a songwriter and seeing how the industry worked as a young woman and how she was treated in songwriting rooms. And, you know, if you have written for the Pussycat Dolls, you've seen some things around a studio. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, I think by that point, she already had a sense of how women are treated. She had some experiences that were traumatizing and. I don't think any of us were really thinking about that. Not at all. At the time when we were looking at her career and her work and her art and the meaning of it. But I do think that it is
1: all very much so there. Yeah, I think the idea that she would, the idea that she could be a pop star releasing music that we dance to, but that the lyrical content is so intense and so sad and so dark. Like that concept, we couldn't even wrap our minds around it. And honestly, that's still what she's
0: doing. Like, that's what Chromatica is. Yeah, totally. Chromatica is like a really sad
1: album. Yeah. It just yeah. sounds like a happy one. Yeah, it's the definition of like dancing through your tears. You know what I mean? Um, I also think Bad Romance is interesting just sort of as a bookmark in her career because I think, and this is not a dig, but I do think that with the fame, there are moments in that album where you could say that it's like for other people's album. Like there are moments where I'm like, is this a Gwen Stefani album? Yeah. There are moments where I'm like, is this a fucking Fergie record? Like who is Gaga? You know? And with this, this is like her solidifying her sound, mm-hmm. her distinct sound. This and is like nobody Gaga. else sounded like this at the time.
0: Yeah. A yeah. lot of people sounded like it eight months later. <laughs>
1: right, totally. Yes. Everybody all of a sudden had like a faux hawk and like, you know what I mean? Uh yeah, no, absolutely for the
0: sound. And this is interesting. I find I love songwriters and I love to look at people's credits and see who else worked on songs and what they might have worked on. And mm-hmm. she did a lot of this album with Red One, who she had worked with on her previous album, but sort of was dropped more or less after this uh do you know anything with the career of red one
1: not really no
0: so this is a little fun fact that i brought just specifically for you okay he did not write for very impressive people prior to working with gaga i think got hooked up through akon who had been important in Gaga's early career in terms of shopping around to labels and getting her out there. But he wrote for the Cheetah Girls.
1: <laughs> I love that. I love that.
0: Yeah. I thought that you would really like that.
1: Yeah. Smiling ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no. Go yeah. Go ahead.
0: Uh, the red one of it all is, uh, its I find it very interesting. There's a few collaborators on this album where Gaga works really well with them. Mm. And they make this incredible, commercially successful, great music mm-hmm. for the pop market. Mm-hmm. And then Gaga goes on to keep doing stuff. And they never really do other stuff with other people. Uh, like, Red One's thing now is, like, he wrote half a song, half of the songs on an album for Nicole Scherzinger. He wrote half of an album for Austin Mahoney.
1: Okay. Yeah. He Interesting. Did...
0: Yeah, right? Like, you would think if you even, if it, I think he maybe works, it's either him or one of the other collaborators who works a lot with Enrique Iglesias, but okay. just, like, the... Only big songs really since for the pop market were Starships by Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj took a lot of the people who worked on this
1: album and hired them for Roman Reloaded. (laughs) That's funny. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a specific time too. Like that makes sense. Like you said, it's when everybody was trying to get weird. And Nicki was one of the prime
0: people who people didn't really buy her having this weird very gaga yeah, yeah sort of a look and then she literally went to like songwriters and producers who had worked on this project
1: uh afterwards. that's really yeah. interesting and it's then, also funny given the fact that like his name is just spoken so often on her music like completely you know what i mean yeah uh, and then he wrote
0: kings and queens which was one of the big hits for ava max who often gets wow talked
1: about as a ripoff of gaga well, I wrote down this really funny... Well, I don't know if it's funny, but I just thought it was really interesting. It's a quote from The Guardian from 2011. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's interesting to hear how people used to write about Gaga. But it says, written by the then 23-year-old Gaga on her tour bus in Norway and produced by long-term collaborator Morocco-born Swedish raised Red One, Bad Romance is a song about being in love with your best friend as well as perpetually drawn to the wrong people in general. It is a message... or If, if its message lacks a self-conscious aspirations of some of Gaga's current work, such as Born This Way, the song's importance as with most truly significant pop songs is less about educating the world and more about brutal effectiveness as a piece of music. Also in the mix were fearsome beats, a clever verse that references the work of Al- Alfred Hitchcock, where uh, Window, Vertigo, Psycho are all mentioned, um, a decadent, uh, preposterous middle eight, in which Gaga starts singing in French some almost subliminal growls of I want your bad romance and a moment when the song collapses under its own weight and the silence pierced by an ear-splitting howl of what a bad romance <laughs> I wish you could see the way they spell it it's like W-H-H-A-R-R-G-H-Y-O-O-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B-B <laughs> But it's true. And I, I fucking love the Hitchcock references. I remember being a kid because I was always obsessed with like horror shit. Yeah. You were a horror baby. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God. Is she like referencing fucking Vertigo? Like the Vertigo? <laughs> Vertigo, hello. Um, but yeah, Bad Romance is great. The music video was great. It's such it's a stunning. fucking, it's just a a, a time capsule of a yeah. time. You know what I mean? I pulled out two other
0: Troy facts. Okay. Just- things to delight you as Please. I'm poking around learning about <laughs> these uh the director of the video also directed Slave for You and Circus
1: oh what's his name uh
0: I actually I didn't write it down uh, he he did all of the Hunger Game movies he's the director of that
1: yeah he's great he's a really good music video director yeah he did a lot of uh, R&B videos in the 90s Fun. I didn't know that he did this video oh my god mm, yeah that kind of changes everything yeah uh yeah do you think that straight people know is in a
0: bathhouse no
1: yeah not at all <laughs> I know I've watched a lot of straight people react to this song of this video on YouTube and it's just like it's so funny like the way that Gaga with her with the with I'll say with her fan base that understands her and like gets her whole gig Like, we've been on the same page with Gaga for, you know, over 10 years now. But, like, just general sort of middle of the the country straight people are really, like, stuck in, like, 2010 of, like, trying to understand Lady Gaga. Mm. Like, these concepts and themes are still blowing people's minds.
0: Yeah. There was a Tumblr back in the day that I used to love that explained every reference. Mm. Because they're... Are these as visual texts, they have so many layers and so many very specific reference points and right. stuff that I, I didn't know until I, I started poking around and seeing mm-hmm. it and being like, oh, wow, and specific shots are from specific films and things like that. Uh, it's, it's very rich stuff. And the, the metaphors in the lyrics are like right there. They're very, (laughs) she's telling you what movies she was watching lately,
1: (laughs) literally, and Gaga makes it a little hard in the sense that she does, you know, given the interview or the day of the week or what she's wearing, like, she'll say that the inspiration for the song is something, you know, totally different, even though it can be all of those things, obviously, but like what she says it's about can vary depending on like the vibe she's in.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. She doesn't really do that anymore. But yeah. she used to do that, and I do think that she used to just lie a bit for fun. Me too. Like, when she was a bit more of, like, a punk and a troll.
1: Yeah.
0: And I I loved that early fuck you spirit that yes. she brought, particularly to the press when she was doing interviews with the press. But movie star Gaga has none of that.
1: Yeah, you're totally right. Old, this era Gaga is with the press was just so sarcastic and funny and whenever you look up like funniest gaga moments like whenever those videos pop up on youtube it's always this time 100 be, like being interviewed yeah um let's talk about alejandro alejandro <laughs> what are your thoughts on this song so
0: gaga often gets accused of stealing <laughs> things from madonna right and i think that she stole much more generously and blatantly from david bowie and grace jones than she did from madonna agreed but one thing that i absolutely think that she snagged was the trope of pop stars getting to have a like pan latina moment
1: oh okay yeah, yeah 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 you know like this Tropical, is the island breeze
0: yeah like <laughs> yeah. just like a
1: white girl doing
0: a song about her spanish lover yes in yes. hot, like Mexico <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was like I, yes. I don't know I don't know what part of like the Spanish speaking world we're necessarily in because the video is very Spain and the, the lyrics are very like Central America question <laughs> mark
1: <laughs> that's so funny you're totally right it is it's very La Isla Bonita. i bet there's it's, a really beautiful mashup of la isla bonita and alejandro somewhere in the world
0: yeah for sure And the video also is like maybe her most madonna
1: video Mm -hmm.
0: you know it is that sort of erotica era visuality yeah
1: yeah i um i wrote in my notes that's like obviously you know i would say this is where the Of course, when the fame came out, people were like, oh, she's the new Madonna, whatever. But, like, this moment, the fame monster is when people really were like, oh, no, she's stealing from Madonna. Um, And you could see her really, in a lot of ways, planting her feet in these references that had become so known as Madonna things, i.e. the Catholic Church. Like when I saw the, I remember seeing this video for the first time and seeing the Catholic imagery and being like, whoa, like I was, I felt some type of way. As an OG Madonna head, I was like, wait a minute, that's weird, like, you know, I had only ever, I don't, everything I knew about the Catholic church was literally because of Madonna. Right, yeah. Up to that point. Yeah, this was definitely a tearing
0: apart of gay generations between millennials and Gen X. Yes. In terms of just like all out, <laughs> War on the forums between <laughs> so this, which like seems so silly in right. retrospect, uh, but it that was that was the moment that we were in, yeah. and I, it's also I think if anything a testament to Madonna
1: mm-hmm.
0: that things that pop stars do are associated with being Madonna,
1: not being a pop star. Right, total. That's no, such a good point. Yeah, it's true. It is a testament. It's like it all boils down to flattery being the highest form. You know yeah. what I mean? In a way,
0: yeah. And there's a centrality of Madonna to pop. Like I'm sure that I know that you have talked about this before, but it's often seen that Madonna passed the baton to Britney. Mm-hmm. Britney's key reference is Janet Jackson. It's not Madonna. right. Yeah. And like there are a lot of things I think personally, the Gaga is more of a share than she is a Madonna. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, but the things that she does, like having this dalliance where she's inspired by something like very vaguely Spanish or country Spain no. colonized, <laughs> right? Inspired, right? Is reads as a Madonnaism
1: yeah I think that it's just for me it's 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 that at her core it's like she is this sort of version of Madonna but not just in the pop star sense in the sense that like again that she is like a girl from New York City she's an Italian and she sort of parades around as a pop star but at her core she is just a girl wearing an Italians do It better t-shirt you know (laughs) what I mean like like, it, that part of it is so much more Madonna to me than any of, like, the other stuff, if that makes any sense. Any of the actual
0: art. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, did you know that the label didn't want this to be a single?
0: Really? Why? Yeah. They want to dance in the dark.
1: I can see that. It's a great song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love dance in the dark.
0: Yeah, she really pushed for this. And I think, like, my in my head, my pet fan theory, is that she thinks that this song gives her a versatility she didn't have yet.
1: I could totally see that. It is extremely different than anything she had literally ever recorded up to this point. Mm -hmm. It sits within the musical world of the
0: album and like the Gaga universe thus far very easily. Right. But it's a
1: different twist on the theme. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously we have to mention the Ace of Base of it all. Mm -hmm. um, And that being like a huge talking point as well. And, you know, I do think that, I don't know if Gaga fully understands what it means to reference someone. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Talk to me more about that. Like, she obviously was, in quote, inspired by Ace of Bass when she was producing and writing this song. And that's amazing. But, like, to just simply take an Ace of Bass beat and then put your own shit in front of it isn't really, like, inspiring. It's why I think people have always like beat her up about shit like that. Yeah.
0: (sighs) Yes and no, though. Because like, that's how contemporary music works. I guess that's true. Like, you take entire pieces of songs, and you put them into a new song, a new context, you give them to a new generation of music fans. Uh, Like, I have listened to songs in the car driving with my Gen X partner and been like whoa I thought that that was Jay-Z and he's like (laughs) you are so dumb (laughs) you know what I mean yeah (laughs) and I don't know like if we're gonna talk
1: about stealing from Ace of Base I was like Ace of Base is an ABBA cover band That's very true. And I guess if you think about it, Gaga's always been pretty open about her references. Yeah. Like if she was actually stealing, she wouldn't say where it came from.
0: I think that that is honestly easier. It was easier to pick on people because she's like, I'm drawing on my face my reference to David Bowie. It's very clear. Yeah. Yes. Like she's not trying to hide that she's referencing Grace Jones when she's wearing the hood like that. Right. Uh, I think it's pretty clear and I don't know uh, referencing and citations I, it, I don't know it doesn't, it doesn't bug me when it goes somewhere you know. Right. I remember as like a person who grew up with Mariah Carey when Ariana first came out and was sitting the way she was on that little stool I was <laughs> like
1: this bitch think she is squeaking the way she was squeaking
0: yeah but you know she's sung her little heart out and done her little thing and you know good for ari give her a break when ava max comes along and it's like
1: whatever man make some like fun trashy europop like no, you're yours right. enjoy it you're right especially for somebody like gaga who has been very clear about the fact that she tries on identities and tries on personalities based on the identity that she's wearing so it's like I get it I get it I just think that her I think that her references get lost in translation in a way that they don't happen with other people and it happens like very repeatedly in a way where it's like well so you're doing something there's something is being done wrong I don't know what it is but there's something that isn't connecting with people in a way that like other artists have been allowed to reference and like she hasn't been mm-hmm
0: Yeah, I think it. I, my take is people find her theater kidness irritating. (laughs) Yeah. In like an Anne Hathaway 2011 sort of a way. Right. And it's a very easy thing to pick on because she wears it on her sleeve. Yeah. Yes. And they're That's, like, oh, she thinks she's so original doing this like David Bowie by way of Madonna thing. And it's like, no, she, she, she's doing this. And <laughs> it, it,
1: it's clear. It's it's obvious. It's blatant. It's apparent. She's not hiding the body. You're so right. It's the it's the theater kid thing. And it's that she's so earnest about it.
0: Yeah, it is that she's so earnest about it. Earnesty makes people uncomfortable <laughs> when it's yeah.
1: paired with ambition. It's completely true. It's true. It's like when Gaga's being Joe Calderon, I'm a little bit digging into my skin a little bit. Oh, I'm, lady- I'm not with Joe. I uh-huh. love him. Hey, Gaga! <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about Monster. Yes! Um, And as we, so we mentioned at the beginning of the episode that obviously this whole album um, is an exploration of all these different fears that Lady Gaga has and these fears that have come up with that have come with money and fame and monster is an exploration of her fear of shitty men and her addiction to men that she knows are toxic um this is probably one of my favorite songs in the album for sure i would definitely say it's at least top two top two i really love monster okay love that for you (laughs)
0: If, if if you're gonna say top two, like what what's the other one? What's competing?
1: Um, we'll get to it. We'll talk. Okay, all right, we'll talk. All right. Uh,
0: I really wish that monster was a single. Me too. Or had a moment. Maybe you not know. a single, but I wish that at least like had a video. The way that she like tossed off a video for John Wayne, or mm. had some sort of a moment, because Monster is really central to this album Mm -hmm. it was the first song that she wrote for the album and i don't call me gaga don't call me gaga has we've (sighs) never seen her lips speak those words oh my god
1: don't look at me like that it's so good it's just so i mean i i love 80s gaga yeah like Everybody has their favorite version of Lady Gaga. My preferred version, I think Gaga does the 80s in such an interesting way. It's so like it feels so authentic and genuine and you can tell that she just has a very a very authentic love of that time period. Like it doesn't feel like music inspired by the 80s. They just feel like 80s songs. Mm. I in an alternate
0: ordering of this album like i think the ep of it all plays into the ordering of these songs. Mm, okay. But i would have loved for the album to open with monster and open specifically oh. just with the words don't call me gaga.
1: Yeah, you're compl- that's so fucking yeah.
0: You know like after yeah. the fame, she had mm. the fame, she actually got famous, the wish comes true and then it opens up and it's don't call me gaga.
1: Yeah. And
0: here's everything that went wrong.
1: Wait, have we really never seen her?
0: I mean, she's performed it live and like on TV and stuff like that. But like, I just think that, you know, there, it would have been really cool, even the way she had sort of the art pop film, like for it to be squeezed in somewhere, it just feels really important to the mythology of the
1: Gaga cinematic universe. No, you're completely right. I'm just realizing that we've never seen her, like, really give it, like, a moment. And it does feel, it feels so important. Mm -hmm. Like, this feels like such an important song on this album. And it's a little buried in her discography. That is so weird. I've never, maybe because I listened to it so much that I, like, haven't stopped to think about it. Um, But, yeah, I just, I fucking love it. And I love, you know, the metaphor of this guy eating her heart and eating her brains and you know it's just it's really playful and fun and I think it's it's written in a in a way that makes it fun to sing because the metaphors are they're not hard to understand no
0: absolutely I'm actually I'm thinking of it now you know that video that she would play uh at shows to open shows for the fame with the Andy Warhol glasses yeah uh didn't that video talk about the brain being eaten Oh, maybe. Like I think that that's actually that comes up earlier,
1: because it's like it's way too it's way too good of a metaphor to not use. I'm sorry, yeah. it's way too good of a metaphor to just throw at the beginning of a random song. Like, you know, it's it's good.
0: Yeah, no, I uh, I I love Monster, and I think that Monster has been underserved.
1: Um, this is one of those interviews that you were referencing earlier where gaga is just like being sort of like like playing the character of an interesting pop star in interviews this is mtv news it says in an interview with mtv news gaga said that monster describes her fear of sex and relationships and the literal meaning is about a guy with a big dick she elaborated that it's in a fear of it's a fear of attachment and the fear of loving someone that's bad for you If you listen to the lyrics, it's like being in love with the bad boy all the time, and you keep going back for more. She added that the fear and monster erupted from her need to have a stable relationship. She also explained, I keep falling in love with the monster, but what I really need is the security and the safety and the the womanhood, the responsibility of femininity. And And so that's what the song is about. And I can totally see Gaga in an interview just like very sternly saying that it's a song about a man with a big dick.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Trey, do you have the actual article up in front of you? No,
0: I clicked okay. it. Okay. Uh, there's somebody at MTV News uh, who has interviewed Gaga a lot that I have a little story about. <laughs>
1: okay. Oh, okay. Uh, have I told this yes. to you before? We've talked about it, but I We've want talked about to it. hear... Okay.
0: Uh, there was a journalist who interviewed has interviewed gaga a lot throughout her year throughout the years and she feels very comfortable with him he asks good questions he does good research and we my friend and i went to see her in new york and we went to a little after party because DJ White Shadow was playing. And I was like, she might be there. Mm-hmm. And we showed up. And she was there. It was very fun. Uh, and we were like wandering around this like club in this hotel. And I see this guy who I've watched interview a- Gaga a bunch of times. <laughs> right. And I'm like <laughs> geeking out being like, hey, I like I start talking to him. And he's incredibly interested in my friend. And <laughs> the two of us are just so excited to talk to him about like years of gaga interviews that like it pretty much floats over our heads for the first like 20 minutes he's trying to fuck right and the poor man like follows us around a club the whole
1: night oh we eventually had to ditch him. this is like <laughs> i'm having the same reaction that you i had before where i'm like so you didn't know who he was outside of that right I,
0: so I, because i'm canadian i didn't grow up with this person on my tv right. but right. he w- like was big as a, a yeah. dj or vj in the 90s i guess yeah he was like a he was a big
1: mtv well he was, was like, like a, a 90s one huge in the 90s and like kind of in the early to the mid-2000s like he kind of um left MTV with like TRL leaving MTV Oh, he was in the TRL era? oh yes okay so like we didn't get MTV anyways yeah when you told him <laughs> I was like wait a minute what <laughs> what I was anyways, like, he's <laughs> a famous person to me Russell <laughs> that's a little That's a little blind item we'll draw right totally. <laughs> it's so funny it kills me. just like the, the vision of it kills me um oh Let's talk about Speechless. Yeah. Let's talk about Speechless. Oh my God. All
0: right, you throw out a top. This is easily, for me, top three ballads that she's ever written. Same. I'm, I'm going to venture to say that I think it's
1: my favorite Gaga ballad.
0: Uh, so my top three are You and I and Brown Eyes. And mm-hmm. You and I, she wrote about Luke Carl at the same time that I was broken up with by my own Luke Carl. Okay. And uh, it holds. <laughs> your own holds, Nebraska guy. Yeah, it holds a special place in my like young drunk heart. So. Oh, well, yeah. Have, this, speechless. It's a moment.
1: It's a moment. This is a song that explores her fear of death. And um, what I, the only thing that I love more than Gaga going 80s is when Gaga goes Elton. Mm. I mean, like, play this at my funeral like any version of Gaga giving Elton John is literally oh I'm like floating off the ground even thinking about it I love this song so much me too and I,
0: I personally while the latter half of her career's ballads are much more successful hmm commercially they're releases singles they're huge million reasons Mm -hmm. uh shallow the early half I think the ballads are much better written yeah even like a song like brown eyes I think I think brown eyes is a much better song than million reasons
1: oh my god a million times better because there's a they're good songs but they're also there's like a cleverness to them There's sort of a a tongue-in-cheek element to all of her songs at this time that I feel like she's, I wouldn't say lost, but I do think that it's like, it's very heightened during this time. And it it even shows up in her ballads. Like they're always sort of cheeky and like in some way clever.
0: Yeah. And you know, so like Monster, I said, I would love it to have had a moment. Speechless had like a hundred moments. She performed... The song Speechless on television totally more times than she performed any single
1: from this album. Yeah, you're right. I'm just like picturing her shattering bottles and all the different versions of it. She would always for every
0: single that she released off of this album, when she would perform it all around the world on different television shows, she would do two or three songs. And the second song she would always sit down at the piano, let people know that she can sing, mm-hmm. and
1: belt out Speechless. This song lends itself to her voice, too.
0: Yeah. There's, a like, a raspy 70s rock thing going on. Mm-hmm. It's almost, like, in some ways, similar to, like, Heart. Ooh, or, yeah. You know, like, in the way yeah. that it is sung, or even, like, uh the The female singers of Fleetwood Mac, like there totally. is a organic rock femininity to it. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, it's delicious, and it's like in comparison to a song like "Shallow," where she's sort of like putting on the character of, yes, like a you know a woman scorned. This is like much more authentic to me. I completely agree, and I "Speechless"
0: is a song that is who she is. Yeah. And I think it's one of the first times when we see her sing speechless at a piano, that's the first time that we ever get to see Stephanie Germinata mixed in with Lady. Oh Lady
1: God. God, you're gonna make me cry. That's so perfect. That was perfect. Yes. That's so true. It's like, like she could very easily have long, dark hair cascading down her back and be wearing an off-the-shoulder shirt from Old Navy and still perform the song, and it would make sense.
0: She could have performed (laughs) this
1: when she was in The Bitter End,
0: you know? Yes, totally. Uh, And yeah, her performance of this at the Grammys with Elton John, I think solidified so many things for her and her career.
1: Like, cause this was a time, it took people a really long time. Not her fans, but the people outside of her fan base to grasp the concept that she was talented like people literally couldn't do it It, I mean only I I would say the Oscars is when people like the outside public really like in quotes discovered she could sing um even though she had been performing songs like this for years and just like killing it uh and these songs just feel really special because it reminds me of a time when like her fans just like really got her, you yeah. know what I mean? And other people didn't. What, what do you think if she would have done the
0: like old pop star thing of releasing a ballad as the third or fourth single off of an album? Like, do you think that there's a world in which it could have been bad romance, Alejandro, speechless? Mm. Like, would this have played? On the radio on Adult Contemporary, or?
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of think so too. I yeah. think if you and I could play as much as it did on the radio and Adult Contemporary, I think this could. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, I don't, I was thinking of this today.
0: We recorded an episode about Gaga some time ago, mm-hmm. and I, it was pre Chromatica, I wanna say. Yeah, it was. And you asked me at the end of it, what kind of an album I wanted. Right. And I said I wanted like an Elton John inspired 1970s stadium rock like. Oh my
1: God, you did. Yes, I remember.
0: I remember. And like, I still really want this. I still think that this is like this is a really nice sweet spot for where she's at in her career right now. Mm -hmm. And this is also what Joanne should have sounded like.
1: Agreed. Joanne should have been stadium yeah it should have because nobody i mean she does that so well completely like oh my god uh i wrote down another fact about the song from gaga wiki this one says gaga explained in a november 2009 interview that her father joseph germanata had a heart condition for approximately 15 years she went on to say that he um has had a bad er erotic i can't say that word erotic (laughs) Not, not erotic Trey, what did you just say are you, are you trying to say neurotic no i can't pronounce it erotic erotic nerve valve ah it's like a valve in your heart you keep saying erotic baby
0: <laughs> baby girl you're saying erotic over and over
1: a <laughs> valve okay a tube to your heart Um, And his body, for a very long time, he was pumping a third of the blood that you are supposed to get to survive to his heart. She added, my mom called me. I was very depressed. I was on tour and I couldn't leave. So I went into the studio and I wrote a song called Speechless. And it's about these phone calls that I was having with my parents. My dad would call me after he had had a few drinks and I wouldn't know what to say. I was speechless and I just feared that I would lose him and that I wouldn't be there when he died. Um, So the song is literally And I love the idea of her telling her dad Like I'll never sing again And I'll never write another song If you don't go get this fucking surgery I just love that Yeah and this actually has
0: uh, The type of nuance required For a metaphor to really like Yeah Texture Mm -hmm. Because it's not as blatant and obvious as it is It's wrapped up really nicely Mm -hmm. And that is Sometimes That's not her strength I will say as a songwriter right (laughs) to wrap things up nicely (laughs) no wrapping things up nicely is one thing uh but being able to carry out uh metaphors that are not blatant
1: oh right 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 right. yeah 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 or just it's like hella confusing yeah (laughs) just so confusing that you're like fuck it i'll go with it whatever (laughs) um now this is my other favorite song on the album my two dance in the dark Ah, I love this song so much. Okay, so your favorites are Monster and Dance in the Dark. Monster, Dance in the Dark, and Speechless are my favorite. <laughs> right? <laughs> Great choices, true. <Trill. laughs> this is a song about the fear of self. This is Gaga <laughs> fearing herself and all of her indulgences, her uh addictions, things. And I just again. I live for an 80s Gaga moment. This is so fucking eraser. I can't even take it. It's just so fun. 80s Gaga, sad girl pop.
0: You know I
1: love sad pop. Yeah, uh,
0: I've got to say I think that the label was probably right. This should have been a single. Yes. Uh, at the very least, this should have been like heavily serviced in Europe.
1: Oh my god! Yeah, it's such
0: a European club song. Amazing remix potential. Did you know that she included this on the set list for her residency in Vegas? Really? Yeah. It's one of the only songs. It's not a single that or like new.
1: That's uh, interesting.
0: Yeah. At, when she played this song, I freaked out. I'm sure you did. I was like, baby, this is the first time that like we've got to dance to this song. Yes. It's like uh, w- what like 10 years?
1: girly what did it look like what did this song look like on stage like what was the imagery of it
0: I've got to tell you uh that whole night for me uh was just we uh for the most part just like stood at the back of the uh pit and danced and the entire night is just (laughs) a blur of dancing I had already seen the videos and the photos I was like I'm here like it's the best Gaga dance night at a gay club. Yeah, I totally. Have, I get
1: right? it. I get it. I get it. Uh, so everything's a fucking blow. I have no idea, Troy. It's just like I completely. I actually wouldn't want it any other way. To be honest, <laughs> I'm proud of you. Thank you. Um. Yeah. I I love how fucking dark this song is. I mean, I would I would say that this is probably the saddest. Well, I don't know. I guess it's subjective. But this song is like really really sad to me. Yeah. Um, it's kind of gut-wrenching. And just the way that she sings about... Actually, I have it. This is a quote from the LA Times. It says, Gaga told the Los Angeles Times that the inspiration behind Dance in the Dark um, as being the intimate experience taking place between two people alone in a bedroom, the fear of sex monster. According to her, uh, this record is about a girl who likes to have sex with men, but with the lights off because she is embarrassed about her body. She doesn't want the man to see her naked. She will be free and she will let her inner animal out, but only if the lights are off. And I, lo- oh, I love that. Uh, I do have a Troy fact for you. <laughs> Please. <laughs>
0: uh, so this is her first work uh, with Fernando Garibay. I think it's how you okay. pronounce it. Do you know? I don't know him. Uh, okay. Oh, really? Okay. No. So he wrote uh, Quicksand and Amnesia for Britney. Makes sense. Yeah. And he also like in terms of Sad Girl Pop, he did an entire collaboration album. Uh, it's, it's an EP, I don't think it's a full length, with Kylie Minogue that uh, has visuals for the whole thing. You should check it out.
1: Cool. I love those two yeah. bonus
0: songs. Uh, so this is the first time they worked together, but he co-wrote almost all of Born This
1: Way. Like at least half of the songs on Born This Way are co-written by him. That's so funny because Quicksand and um, what was the other one? Amnesia. And those are like peak gaga britney doing gaga songs mm. you know what i mean they sound like gaga songs um but yeah I, I just i love the metaphor of her being like i'm free it reminds me of like princess diana it's like Ooh. i'm free to dance as long as nobody else is here like i'm i'm we're good as long as nobody can see me what's and- princess
0: die supposed to be on Sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're as fine. Soon, as soon as you said Princess Diana, I was like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> your head literally
1: went. <laughs> you ter- fully terminated. <laughs> I did. <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> there, there's an unreleased Gaga song called Princess Die, mm. and I'm just wondering if it was uh like written around this time. I'm trying to recall. I think that it was between Born This Way and Art, this pop, and art pop, though.
1: It makes sense, because honestly, I feel like Princess Die is, like, the low-key inspiration for so much Gaga music. Mm. Even if she's never said it, it just feels like it. Um, but again, like, the, the horror elements of this song are very prominent, where she's, like, I wrote down the lyric, um, run, run, her kiss is a vampire grin, the moon lights her way while she's howling at him. Just, like, literal, like, wolf and, uh, like, werewolf and vampire imagery, like, it's so cool. And I love that her version of like exploring, exploring horror elements was to go to like the fucking thirties. You know what I mean? Like straight up classic horror. It's also just like, again, so
0: obvious in camp in a way that in this case, I find really fun. Like this is mm. lyrically, essentially an Elvira song. <laughs>
1: that's so funny it's like it it really is it's true like the lyrics are silly oh my god now i like want her to release a literal horror album like camp halloween play this while kids are trick-or-treating moment let's talk about telephone Uh, let's fucking do it i have so many things to say okay hit me first of all gaga describes this song as her fear of suffocation metaphorically her fear of you know being this person who's like newly famous and like is realizing that she can't like do stuff anymore she can't go out she can't let loose she can't have fun her phone's always ringing she's always wanted and in demand and like will she ever be able to like let loose again um she metaphorically doesn't want to answer her phone for like any of us she just wants to go out with Beyonce and get drunk and dance and kill boys. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. I think that this song has, I know that Gaga doesn't like this song. And I know that she said many times that, you know, she, the production of this song was a nightmare for her. And, you know, Britney turned it down. And then they had to like rework the song. And it was like really a, 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 a tiring experience for her to be a part of it. And I get that. But I think that this song has been done so dirty mm. by her. I really do, because even if you know that you don't like the song, she understands the impact that it has on her fan base.
0: Yeah, I she does perform it on like every tour, but sometimes in like a medley. I want to say. Yeah, it's always like some little because yeah, like it's what tucked can she into do? something. Yeah,
1: you know, and I yeah. I just feel like the fact that like. Her and Beyonce have both done fucking Coachella. There have been so many. She's done the Super Bowl. There have been. They've Beyonce's done the Super Bowl twice. There have been so many moments where, even if it was just for a couple seconds, if we just got like the dance break, I cannot believe they've never performed this song together.
0: It's absolutely offensive that they have never performed that song together. Yeah, for the moment in pop culture that this song was. Yes, For for neither of them to, like, honor that or, like, you know, give the gays what they want. Mm -hmm. It's rude. Not to mention, they put a to-be-continued at the end of a music video, and 45 years later, I'm just, like,
1: a sad old gay man waiting (laughs) for it and auntie to come out. Like, like, how dare you? Like, what the fuck? I don't understand. And, like, even if even if, like I said, it was a medley- it was a couple minutes and it was like video phone that went into this or whatever. Like we can make it fair. We can split it down the middle, but to have never given this song a moment, just simply based on the fact that like Gaga's not <clears throat> super fond of it. It's almost like she feels like she has to do it for a couple 100%. seconds. 100%. Yes. Shows and stuff. And like, I just hate that. It has that real feel to it. Uh, I
0: even, like, they could have done a moment at one of their Super Bowl shows where, not Beyonce's, it would have made sense at Beyonce's, but I do think that during Gaga's show, you could have fit in a, like, cut to a screen where it's, like, incoming video call. Yes! It's a telephone! And all you need is for Beyonce to hit one verse and get the fuck out. (laughs) Right, that's all we need. It's an acknowledgement that it happened. We would have gagged over... 30 seconds of (laughs) Beyonce not
1: even in person but on screen yes give it to us why deny us of that moment when you've been and we know that it could happen by the way because they've been in the same room so many times like God God Beyonce are not strangers to one another they have been at the same events award shows like it's crazy do you know when it should have happened honestly the uh,
0: first VMAs of the pandemic when she got the Icon Award from the VMAs.
1: Oh, it would have been... We'd still be talking about it if that had Ab- happened. Abso- it
0: would have saved us from coronavirus. <laughs> right. That would have been the
1: vaccine. It's true. I love when you say bean. I love when you go full Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, can we
0: talk about how there was just like a brief cultural moment in which Gaga was a bigger star than Beyonce. Can we talk? Isn't that wild to think about?
1: It's crazy. I'm obsessed with studying Beyonce during that specific time when people wrote about her honestly. Mm. When people had an honest, I think, uh, like a real opinion about Beyonce and not just that she's a goddess.
0: Yes. This is in the period when Beyonce still said human words out mm-hmm. loud and we heard her say them mm-hmm. and when she was had not yet been anointed as a untouchable figure in yeah. our culture. And I, I don't hate that she's an untouchable figure or whatever. Uh, no. I, I think that she has given us so much mm-hmm. to our culture uh, and she's such an important figure, but the discourse around her as a celebrity is like capital B boring
1: yeah it's so that's what it that's what it is I've never critiqued that because I don't like her it's only been because I think it's boring and I honestly think it's really reductive of her music and her and what she's done to just be like it's all perfect and it always will be it's like mm, it's a little more nuanced than that when you're releasing full video like albums and like you know I just think it's like boring yeah, um, I looked up, uh, so Videophone came out first, uh, like quite
0: a bit first. Uh, that and- video is so insane, by the way. <laughs> it's, it's so like 2010. Uh, it, no, honestly, it's more like 2004. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like really it, that. It's like <laughs> Beyonce just stepping out of Destiny's Child visually is like what that video looks like.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, and it was the eighth single. Off of her own. Whoa,
1: holy shit. Matt Wild. That's crazy. Was that a successful song? Video? No. no, it was not. Okay.
0: And I always kind of wondered if that had something to do with why they never performed it. A, Gaga's not mm. obsessed with it. But B, I can imagine Beyonce or her team not loving that they put out a song first. Right no one really cared about and then the Gaga song with
1: Beyonce as a feature came out and it was the biggest thing in the world that's insanely true I've never thought about it that way but what I will say to give the tiniest bit of praise to the video phone music video never in the history of pop music had we seen a pop star give herself up to another pop star in the way that they had for each other yes It is so fucking interesting to watch those back-to-back and to watch Gaga literally do Beyonce.
0: Yeah!
1: And then watch Beyonce do Gaga. Gaga. That's really cool.
0: And I honestly think uh, that that was a kind of transformative and important moment in Beyonce's turn as a pop star. Mm -hmm. Like Beyonce's ability to be seen within this like arty- camp fun atmosphere of this music video and to see herself somewhere like so far outside of R&B right really shifted a little bit some perception of her as a pop star and I think showed a world of possibilities like you would never get some of Uh, we would have never imagined that we would have gotten some of the things that we got on self-titled, like the music videos in different modes of Beyonce Mm -hmm. until we had seen that. That was the first time we had seen this like, thing from Beyonce. It's it's hard to explain or like exactly put my finger on it, but
1: do you know what I mean? Yeah, we, we had only really known like I'm a I'm like I'm a diva Beyonce. Like yeah we had only known this very specific version of Beyonce being a diva queen hair blowing in the wind pop star which was amazing but theatrical Beyonce we really didn't know yet. Mm-hmm. And Beyonce is like a real theatrical queen like she's extremely you know, she loves production and like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that we had ever seen her be like that before. And it was just so like, it was just so cool to watch her do Gaga. And she did it with such, she did such a good job. Yeah. She did Gaga so well, you know what I mean? And That's what's so cool. She seemed
0: to really be having fun. Yes. She was full of life.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, totally.
0: And yeah, it it's so interesting I don't know that I can think of another woman, woman, pop star duo, mm-hmm. collab, a, where they're sort of like on the same playing field. Right. Like, even though Beyonce had been in Destiny's Child for many years, and like, she was almost a decade into her career, they were sort of still playing in the same arena of pop at that time. They totally. are their careers are like could not be more different now but at that time they were getting played on the same radio station sort of taking up similar space in mm-hmm. pop culture like it wasn't like me against the music where right. there's a, an entire generation between these two performers but I, this is in my opinion gaga's uh like best collaboration it's just it's so cool that these two people did this together i've watched this
1: video more than any gaga video
0: It's uh, it's up there in terms of
1: her best music videos, for sure. Like it's really just every time I watch it, I'm like, I can't believe that this exists. Honestly,
0: and for like the children who don't know, this was a moment. Yeah, I remember the countdown to this. Yeah,
1: yes. Oh my god!
0: And watching it and. Everyone freaking out on Facebook because we were all just on Facebook at that time, yes. And I it was like people thought MTV was going to be dead, (laughs) and there were like think pieces at this time where people were like, The music video is back for the YouTube
1: era, telephone, right? And it was just honestly interesting to see two people who obviously model their careers after the same sort of ideas like they both have this sort of like Michael Jackson Madonna kind of idea of what it means to be a pop star yeah, they the larger than life
0: embrace yeah
1: of being a pop figure and like you're not really a human being anymore you are a pop figure and like you're large like you said larger than life you are this version of god on earth you're a, a, a pop goddess and you know, just even the idea that this was getting, like, a a nighttime release the way that people used to release videos back in the day, like, at 8 p.m. Eastern, where the whole country would sit around in front of their TV to watch a music video release, millions of people. Like, it was giving very that.
0: Yeah, and uh, people weren't doing uh, the, like, uh, you know, Drake 20-minute music video concept shoot
1: mm-hmm. thing. That wasn't it right god take me back uh oh and also obviously we have to say that this you know this video is obviously intensely influenced by quentin tarantino it's basically like a version of kill bill slash pulp fiction um which just feels so of the time like it's just so fun with the pussy wagon with the infamous pussy wagon yeah um And again, I know that I mentioned this earlier, but I just, I think that this video also is a really good example of, like, Gaga having this sort of visual. I think that if you're a Gaga fan, you understand that visually what she's doing, especially in music videos, is just sort of, it's like a heightened reality. Mm. It's a heightened version of Gaga's reality. Uh, I always use the Mary of the Night ex- example just because it's easy, but like when she talks about how when she's in the psychiatric hospital, and like obviously when she was in the psychiatric hospital, the nurses weren't wearing Calvin Klein and berets, but in this sort of romanticized idea of it, they are, because she can do whatever she wants in her head, um, and this video is very that to me, like these are two women who are on the run, they are literally killers and we watched them murder a bunch of people and a dog. <laughs> a <bunch of laughs> <dogs>. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's I, actually so dark.
0: Do you think when they said to be continued, that they thought they were going to continue it? I really do. Yeah.
1: Because I think maybe Gaga at least thought she would continue it maybe on her own. Because I was reading about how it was supposed to be a continuation of the paparazzi video. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe she would have like gone off and done her own thing with it later. But it's it's sad. It always makes me sad to see that to be continued at the end. Oh, me too. And
0: I don't, I I have a delusional hope that one day
1: it will be picked up. (laughs) I know, I think we all do, honestly. Yeah, she could have done that for us. (laughs) We're all living with that delusional hope.
0: Uh what is is this your favorite Gaga music video?
1: Um, Mary of the Night's my favorite music video. Excuse me, I okay. just literally burped. Um, but this is really up there. I mean, this is just generally, I think, probably one of my favorite videos of all time. Yeah. What it's, about you? Uh,
0: yes, uh, for sure. I would put this up there. The art pop film for me, as a Gaga fan, holds a very special place. Yeah, it's her reclaiming her story Mm -hmm. in a really important way and it is the full it it was everything I wanted at that moment and so I think that is honestly probably my favorite video I think Telephone Bad Romance and Art Pop Film are my top three for sure okay uh and I think if I was not thinking about being a fan but just like objectively the best as a music video, it's
1: probably telephone. It's gotta be. It's pop. Yeah, it's, that's what it is, it's pop. It's like classic MTV, it's just like, it's pop culture. And I love the metaphor in the music video for consumerism Mm-hmm. And, like, even now, like, when you, when I see people react to that video on YouTube, they never really get it. And they're always, like, oh, like, it's so funny. Gaga had so much product placement in her videos. And, like, they don't get that she's, like, being a parody of a pop star a lot of the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, she's, like, making fun of this idea of being a pop star. Yeah.
0: While we'll also cashing the chat.
1: <laughs> while also getting the that across the desk to her. Yeah. Yes. Um, let's talk about So Happy I Could Die. You, your face lit up.
0: (laughs) I did. I love this song. It's
1: adorable. I I love this song so much. I do. I, I, (laughs) I I like
0: this song. Uh, I do think it's the weakest on this album. Okay. All right. Tell me more. Uh, You know, it's a cute little bob, but like it holds the same place in the canon for me as like. A paper gangster or like a money honey. Like it's it's like a little ditty. (laughs) And like it's cute. Not
1: paper gangster though.
0: (laughs) I think the final two tracks on this album are the only ones that couldn't have been released in some universe as a single. Like So Happy I could
1: Die couldn't be a single. Totally. Yes. You know what I think it is? I've always really also on top of loving 80s gaga and Elton John Gaga, I love RB Gaga. Okay. I do love when, when Gaga goes RB and you there were, obviously she didn't go like full RB forward until like years later, mm-hmm. but there were always elements where you could see like Gaga likes R&B music. Gaga, I just tell, you know Gaga loves R and
0: B music. Yeah. And I actually think that it is a lane that if she were to do it in the right way with the right collaborators would be perfect for later in her career. Like now being later. Right. Like her version of like a hard candy. Sure. Uh, like for me, one of the biggest misses in her entire career is bitch. Don't kill my vibe.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: She made a song with Kendrick Lamar before Kendrick Lamar popped. Right. And it is a great song. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, it's really, really good. It's incredibly accessible. Like, I also like DJ White Shadow, who is one of her major collaborators, did the production for uh, Do What You Want. And Do What You Want is so good.
1: So good. Oh, my God. She went and fucking ruined it by her choice in collaborator. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Which was dumb as rocks I know because she could have that song could have been that song could have been a big moment for her absolutely and she didn't need a collaborator on it not at all like it's such a strong such a strong song has such a strong message such a wasted opportunity just
0: a mess I I do not think that so happy I could die stands up two other dalliances with r and
1: <laughs> Listen, I will, I will take this song to my grave. I love it. I love, and this is, by the way, this is Gaga's exploration of the alcohol monster. Um, I think I got it confused with the other one. I said that, um, I said that the other one was the alcohol song, but it's actually this one. Uh, this is her really, like, talking about, like, indulging in herself, being sort of narcissistic, you know, self-indulgent. And I like that she, I guess what I like about it is the mood that it creates. Cause it does feel mm. like a song that you would listen to when you're like really fucked up and she kind of slurs through the words. Yeah. Yeah. They feel a little drunk and it reminds me of, um, I was seeing online cause I wanted to check to see if I was crazy. So I was looking online to see if other people felt this way. And it does remind me, in fact, of Britney's um, touch of my hand. Oh, okay. But like, obviously, Britney's song is like nowhere near as dark as this one. But it does kind of have the same kind of like, I'm indulging in myself tonight kind of vibe, I guess.
0: Yeah. I don't remember where I heard this. It wasn't internet goss. It was, I believe, secondhand. Industry Goss, where somebody who had worked on a music video, I want to say is like Gaga and her team. When they are done something, Mm -hmm. they sit around, get drunk, do a lot of blow, and Mm -hmm. congratulate each other for hours.
1: Oh, okay.
0: (laughs) Like just like talk about how amazing they are and how good the work is. And this song i like when you describe it that way how's that kind of a vibe where <laughs> yeah. it's like two o'clock in the morning and it's like deep into some cocaine and two people are just talking to each other <laughs> like, no you're amazing let me yeah. tell you all about this so happy i could die
1: now you don't understand how amazing you really are that's die. the thing that's <laughs> yeah. right <very> <laughs> totally it's yeah it's very it's very like hip rocky. Like I'm in the, I'm in the fucking club and I'm already wasted and I'm rocking my hips back and forth and I don't need any more alcohol, but I'm going to keep drinking. <laughs> um, now I will tell you that Teeth is my least favorite song on this album. And it's one of the, oh yes. It's one of those songs that when I hear it, I'm so used to skipping it that the first couple minutes is like a trigger. Because my uh, body's reaction is to skip it and then it's a know, tools like, and drugs. Yes, very that. Yeah.
0: I love this song. Really? Tell yeah. me. Yeah. I think it's so silly and so camp. And such it's the definition of an album track. Like <laughs> yeah. it is not at all accessible. It's like <laughs> right. very theater. It's very silly. For me, it occupies the same spaces. Like hair or Mary Jane Holland mm-hmm. where it's like her being like I'm gonna write a song about teeth. Yes. Like I'm
1: gonna write a song about weed. I'm gonna yeah. write a
0: song about my fucking hair.
1: <laughs> I knew the, I had a feeling that you would like this song because I know that you like Mary Jane Holland and that yeah. it reminds me of that. Yeah. Uh yeah she speaks over like half the song.
0: <laughs> right. But it's like not really a backing vocal. It's like just A voice track that they have like run through a processing, yeah, (laughs) like filter. But she's also singing on it, and it's fun and silly. And and, you know, it's it's one of the things that I enjoy about her. You don't take yourself seriously if you write a song where you're just like shouting about like (laughs) teeth.
1: (laughs) So (laughs) ridiculous. You're right. It is fun. It is very, like, I guess it's just not a song that I, like, desire. Mm, Yeah. Like, I've never been like, ooh, I have an inkling to turn on teeth. Do you know what I mean? Like, if it plays, whatever. I usually, like I said, I usually turn it away. But, like, it isn't offensive. It isn't so bad that I can't bear it. It's just not one that I, like, seek out, I guess. But you're right, though. It is really fun. And it's theatrical. It's silly. It's like what you said
0: earlier no other pop star who put out music in this year <laughs> could have or would have
1: right put out teeth it's true it's true it's so like it's like a stage song it's like a stage production theater production song like i just picture a group of people doing like this and like walking towards you with like it's just very like yeah it's doing
0: some like bob fossey sort of like yeah. a hand gesture and being like show me your teeth yeah like, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what i like about it
1: <laughs> um i have another my final mtv news quote says it's meant to be it's actually meant to mean two things the first one is kind of juvenile a juvenile sexual provocative connotation is about oral sex and also the monster in the song is the fear of truth Show me your teeth means tells me the truth. And I think that for a long time in my life, I replaced sex with the truth. Um, And the teeth metaphor is just so Gaga. Like, you know, it's just very like, um, I want your cycle, your vertical stick. Like, it's very that. Show me all of you. Show me your teeth. Like, it's just very Gaga. Yeah, I agree. Um, That's it. That's this whole album. (laughs) That was so fun. (laughs) it's eight songs (laughs) (laughs) that was so fun though of course we talked for like a million years because it's Mm -hmm. Gaga Mm -hmm. um but this this album is just like so special to me it will always mean a lot the fact that it feels like this weird little tucked away piece of art now that Gaga doesn't really acknowledge that often um I don't know it just feels special yeah
0: I I this contains most of the songs that are her canon of hits,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, uh, obviously Poker Face, Paparazzi, Just Dance are big songs, but they're essentially a medley.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, totally. Uh, I think that when you pull up to have Telephone, Speechless, Alejandro, and Bad mm-hmm. Romance, those are independent hits that Mm -hmm. sound different and offer a different taste of
1: what Gaga is right no you're totally right and I think that speaks to the fact that you know with her first album she obviously was giving us a sort of intro to Gaga she didn't want to scare us off you know so she gave us this sort of watered down version of what she hoped to become and then with this it's like we're seeing more of Gaga being herself and it's cool, you know? Yes, absolutely. And this is really,
0: uh, I think the height of her Imperial phase, you know, all of the songs off of her first album are hits. These songs just like build the momentum at a breakneck pace. It gets so big by the time that you have Beyonce on one of the tracks you have Quentin Tarantino sending you a truck from one of his movies (laughs) like everyone is saying yes at this point you're in Alexander McQueen shows that's where your music is being debuted it's so fucking huge and honestly I think all of what she builds in terms of cultural capital she completely spends immediately on Born This Way
1: yeah, totally.
0: And Born This Way is such a swerve. It's not what people wanted. It's not what people asked for. It's so in your face gay. Mm-hmm. It's not accessible. Even like this has like dark themes, but they're baked in in a way that you don't need to look at them. Right. Where Born This Way, you can't turn away from what it is.
1: That's so true. It felt like a like a crescendo up yeah. to. Born This Way like this is the perfect little building block for that
0: and then from Born This Way it's honestly all downhill (laughs) like not in terms of like quality or anything but in terms of her imperial phase her imperial phase ends after the Born This Way single I would honestly argue that's true like Mary the Night Judas all those songs that you and I love so much Yeah, those are not the songs that people would recognize during her Super Bowl set
1: No, it's true. God, that's so
0: odd. And then it's art pop and then it's Joanne and it's jazz music and then like honestly like the only hits that really break with the general public are like
1: Shallow. Oh God, don't even bring up Shallow. Just so you guys know, you'll never hear me like do Shallow on this podcast. I will never, you couldn't pay me to sit here and fully critique fucking oh I I could never do it I would just die um it's a cute little song she sings well in it I'll say that she does sing well in it I just yeah. I I just have a real problem with like actor gaga sometimes I'm just like uh, I, you know what I mean we you won't know, go into it we will uh, no but we should sometime <laughs> yeah, we should. you're the only person I could do it with obviously um well Russ thank you so much for doing this with me Oh, thank you for having me, Troy. I'm happy to talk Gaga anytime you want. (laughs) Well, tell people where they can find you on the internet or anything that you have going on. We want people to know about or anything like that.
0: Uh, If you are Twitch watchers, uh, subscribe to Speakeasy channel on Twitch. I do a show on Tuesdays called Can We Be Friends with a drag queen named Bombay and the two of us test out our friendship.
1: (laughs) You guys are honestly like a sneeze away from like a buddy cop film or (laughs) like... (laughs) Some network is going to reach out and be like, okay, the chemistry's there. Uh, Yeah.
0: Uh, We have, the two of us, we didn't know each other before the pandemic, and we have spent every Tuesday of the (laughs) pandemic together. Just like locked in small rooms, broadcasting ourselves onto the internet, it's uh, it's a trip, and we would love for you to join us. So uh, it's you can so find, fun. yeah, you can find her on Instagram at it's Bombay, I T S B O M B A E, and
1: uh, I'm private. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> well, Russell, I love you. Until next time, obviously you'll be back. But again, thank you for being here. I love you so much.
0: Don't call me Gaga. <laughs>
1: Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to Dunzo. This podcast is a part of the Solid Listen Network. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com/solidlisten for exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McBee, and you can follow the podcast on all forms of social media at Dunzo Pod. That's D-U-N-Z-O. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew.